broadcasting from the doing the most capital of the world. By way of New York, New York, via the internet. This is Bagels and Plantains, a podcast by, for, and showcasing every day, round the way, but always dope as fuck, multifaceted people of color doing the damn thing and doing it well. Every week, we and our guests will be sharing the blueprint and the stories that explore the intersectionality of being Black, Brown, bothered, and unbothered, while thriving and navigating their passions, spaces, and communities. I'm your host, Deidre E. Dehan. And I am your host, Christina Torres. And here we go. So before we get into today's episode, I mean, if you've lived been living under a rock, you probably are maybe not familiar with this, but if you are trolling Instagram, Facebook, Twitter on the daily, you'll know that everybody and their mother is launching something. They're launching an online course. They're launching a business. They're launching, people are just, you know, literally rockets everywhere. And so our guest today is going to speak a little bit about what that means and how she helps many, many successful brands launch their businesses. So Nate K. Sang is a launch strategist, conversion copywriter, speaker, and coach. I'm exhausted already. (laughs) Who helps purpose-driven entrepreneurs to discover their brand DNA in order to launch their signature courses. As a launch strategist, she's at the front lines during course launches from start to finish. Pair that with five years of coaching she has under her belt. She's able to dig deep and understand the true desires and fears of her clients to turn into empowering copy. To date, she has worked on multiple five-figure launches with Tim Han, number one Amazon bestseller and founder of The Success Insider, Peter Scott, founder of The Sales and Pro Academy, and Sebastian Bates, number one Amazon bestseller and founder of The Warrior Academy, and many, many more. Okay, welcome to the pod. <laughs> wow, that almost that almost took it out of you, Christina. <laughs> I don't think I've done that much reading. No, like, I don't know what that says to, about me as a writer. But that did. You know what? I was trying to get my Deidre on. I was trying to be as eloquent and as concise <laughs> and as enunciate every word. <laughs> <laughs> and now I'm done. Now I'm done. like, ooh. <laughs> All right, guys. <laughs> yeah right jesus take the wheel okay Meg k saying welcome thank hey. you so much hi thank you so much for having me and wow that was quite a mouthful when you actually read it out loud <laughs> but bless you i feel like we need a mini round of applause um, just for like overcoming that first hurdle <laughs> <laughs> exactly i forgot to add to it starting today you are official podcaster welcome yeah definitely yeah I feel like yeah I feel like I've just joined the cool kids table like (laughs) launching a podcast and everything so I'm so so excited for that so yeah thank you yeah to the fam yes (laughs) welcome to the fam so before we get going why don't you give us a brief let's start let's start with what launching means right like what is it what is launch? It's all mm-hmm. over Instagram. It's all over Facebook. It's all over Twitter. Everyone's doing it. But you're, mm-hmm. <laughs> I also still feel like I'm not quite sure. Like what stage? What does that mean to launch? And why is everyone doing it? So I yeah. explain that and then we'll get to how you got there because it's very interesting story. All righty. Yeah. I mean, launch is like one of those words like success. It's not always clear exactly what it is, but from my work as a launch strategist, the best way that, and the most simplest way that I can explain it is launching is building anticipation for an offer. And that offer could be, you know, launching a new business. It could be launching a product or a service or a book is building anticipation for this is almost like a grand event and actually about 80% of the work is actually in the pre-launch so actually the reason why you see a rocket as the icon for launching is because there's so much work about 80% of the fuel goes into the initial you know the build-up before the, the, lo- the rocket actually leaves the platform and so that's actually why the rocket is actually the symbol for a launch is because there's so much work that goes to actually getting it off the ground. But when it's actually, when it's gone past that 80% mark, then it's kind of like just smooth sailing from there. And you won't really hear that very much in the launch world, like that launches are smooth. But actually, if you put a lot of the work and you plan it out strategically, literally step by step, 
the launch will actually go a lot more smoother, but a lot of people actually miss out the pre-launch part. And so that's why there's a lot of scrambling because they missed out so many things. And that's why I am there to just, just coordinate all of the pieces because there are a lot of moving pieces. Each piece is like a child, <laughs> like running around <laughs> that you can't that you can't capture. And so it's just my job to help wrangle all of the pieces to make sure everything is smooth and orderly. Does that make sense? It, yeah. it does. So, so what you're saying is you can't just launch once you have an idea. You actually have to put a lot of work. You get the idea and then you do a lot of work around that before you yeah. can actually begin or launch. Yeah, exactly. And th that's why there are a lot, there's a lot of launch flops. So in case you haven't heard that term or for those listening haven't heard that term before about launch flopping is when it just doesn't go up in the air. And the reason for that is because they've often miss so many of the crucial elements in the pre-launch stage and things like just validating your idea. That is one of the number one things that is missing because when people launch, they're so excited to bring something new to the world. And it's great because it's kind of like when you're excited about an idea, you just want to get it out there, right? But the thing is, as we know in business, we really need to see if there's actually a market to tap into for this. And so as well as the initial excitement to bring something new to the world, we also have to equally focus on validating the, the idea to see if there is a market that's actually going to buy into it. So, yeah, I definitely wouldn't go straight into a launch without thinking about it unless you have an audience that can really back you up and that's been who has been following you for years, I have seen it done before. But unless you have that very stellar audience of super fans, it's very unlikely that a launch would be super successful right out the gate if you missed out the pre-launch section. I think you touched on something that either may crush a pe few people's hearts oh, or, no. <laughs> or actually make them feel good about taking their time with their idea. Because oh. all over Instagram, all over Facebook, Every personal development, you know, not every, just a few that cry wolf. They're like, just do it. Just mm. go out there. And oh, you're like, um, yeah, but <laughs> maybe not. Especially if, like you said, you don't have the super fans. You don't have the funding or the backing for it. Mm. Um, yeah. You've never even launched anything before. Mm. I think Deidre can talk to, to attest to this. Even the biggest of the biggest corporations are not just like, well, maybe some are, are not just like mic dropping ideas. Like there's a lot of pre-work and sometimes we snoff or scoff at corporations or bigger wigs for doing that. And we're like, just get the damn thing out already. Mm. But it's obviously completely necessary and can save you probably a lot of heartache and money That's going out. Yeah, that, that's the reason why I want to kind of bring this to light to more people, because I see in communities who are launching courses, for example, so many of them get so disappointed because they they poured like hundreds, if not thousands of dollars into ads. And like that is so difficult. If you're doing your first launch, have an audience that's already warmed up. You know, don't just rely on Facebook ads to drive cold traffic to a webinar, for example, because that is going to be a lot more harder for you. It's literally like an uphill battle trying to accelerate this relationship with an audience that doesn't really know who you are. And so just I, I can see the danger in why people take their time because a lot of them can procrastinate, they can fall into perfectionism, they may be suffering in poster complex. There's so many things that's probably going through their mind, which is why there are some big wigs out there saying, just do it, just, you know, just, you know, don't think, just do all of that kind of thing. Like, I get it while it's there. However, like, this is why I am coming on to the podcast today to just share the things that you can do for yourself to prevent as much as possible and that failure that feeling of failure because you know some people don't get back up after they have fallen and it can be really soul crushing if your launch fails and so that's why like, I'm here to kind of educate the steps that are needed beforehand just to just to ensure that you have a lot more your chances are a lot bigger to succeed in a launch whatever it is that you're doing great so I want to I want to take a little bit of a step back and just how did you become a launch strategist and how did you get into this field and how are you so versed in starting <laughs> successful businesses in a sense? Well, how, how long do we have? <laughs> I'm okay, I'm going to just like go back in time in my mind to kind of pinpoint exactly where it all comes from. And I'll tell you, it is not a smooth journey, but all of, all of them in retrospect are they were necessary things to happen to me in order to get to this point. So just think back to when you're a kid and 
you know, adults would ask you, oh, what do you want to be when you grow up? And all my friends would say things, I want to be an astronaut, I want to be a supermodel, like literally that's what they would say. I never had an answer and I always thought that something was wrong with me. Maybe I didn't have a dream. And how how awful, you know, as a child to think like that. <laughs> and so I never knew what, it, you know, what I was actually good at. And so I just kind of kept coasting when I was a, when I was a child. And then during my teenagers, I was really the type of girl who just did not fit into a crowd. I never did. Even when I actually tried, I just couldn't bring myself to talk about the latest X Factor show because that's that was the big thing when, when I when I was a teenager. Everyone just kept talking about X Factor or something, and I just I just didn't have any interest. And then so naturally I had a smaller group of friends because I wasn't the popular type and I was bullied and all of that stuff as well. And so that didn't really help. But what I found in that group of close-knit friends is that they always said the same thing to me and that was make you're a really good listener and I thought well I really like doing this maybe I could make something of it and then I had my cousins who were studying psychology at the time and they were just so generous with sharing what they were learning and I just found myself so fascinated by it and so I and I thought, okay, maybe this could be a thing for me. So I actually set my heart on wanting to become a counsellor. So I studied psychology in my A-levels and I got into my university and I was so excited. But the first day, I kid you not, of university, my whole being, every fibre of my being just was screaming at me, telling me, Nikki, this isn't for you. And seeing human beings as something to measure on a scale whether it's if you're on this side of the scale something is wrong with you and if you're on the other side of the scale something is also wrong with you and I just couldn't bring myself to see humans that way I felt like every one of us has such a unique thing to bring to the world and I just I couldn't bear to see people like like that and so I felt really discouraged actually and I wanted to find another way to do this and actually in my second year of university I was in a I was in a relationship and it was great at the time for like the first few weeks and then suddenly it slowly but surely crept into an abusive relationship without me realizing it. At first it was an emotionally abusive one, things like, oh, you know, no, you can't go out with your friends, no, you can't see your mom and all that kind of thing. And then actually it turned the worst that it could and it would it turned into a sexually abusive one too. And after that was all said and done, I remember feeling like I didn't want to be here anymore. That's just how, that's just like the rock bottom that I fell to. And then at one point, it just came to me like, you know what? I deserve more than this. And no one is ever going to make me feel as if I can't do something. Mm. And so that is, to be honest, when I that was like over that was like six or seven years ago, so you can probably guess my age from, from that. <laughs> oh, you can never tell. Now I'm doing the numbers. I don't know. You look, you look really young. <laughs> yeah, you can tell Asians. You really can't. <laughs> like we do, we do have to. Like, yeah, yeah, right. They always say black don't crack, but there's something Asians live forever. Oh, do you know we have? I think crazy. that's the Ali Wong's like Ali Wong's joke. Like black don't crack, but Asians live forever. <laughs> oh, you know what? ours is Asians don't raisin. <laughs> That's what it is. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. That's what it is. Yeah. So, so yes, you can tell my age from there. So it was was a long time coming, but yeah, that really just, it just lit up a fire in me to, to really take control of my life because up until then I let everybody else dictate what I wanted to do with my life. And I was like, no, you know what? I'm going to take control for once. And that's why I've been this way ever since. And around that time, as I was, like re-empowering myself I was taking care of my body really well I was eating really healthily I exercised a bit too much (laughs) but actually the power of Facebook ads managed to target me very well because as I was researching all of this nutrition stuff I was targeted by this school it's called the Institute of Integrated Nutrition hashtag not sponsored but (laughs) but yeah and then it just brought me into their world of holistic healing so what I loved about it was that it wasn't just about diet because it was health coaching right but it's just seeing the body as a whole just seeing the human as a whole and as a unique individual and I was like oh my god this this is what I've been looking for it's empowering the individual 
And that was what was missing from my university degree. And so ever since then, I graduated from uni. So I've got a, I've got a degree in psychology and everything. But I just really threw myself into this whole coaching thing. And it did evolve over time because I started off with helping people with emotional eating. And then I helped them with confidence because I realized that my clients, that's what they truly wanted. It was, you know, to be more confident in themselves. And I thought that weight loss was the way. But then I, so I just pivoted to confidence coaching, then video marketing, because, you know, I wanted to to apply that confidence to something. So I wanted to help business owners to be more confident on video because that was a medium that I was totally, you know, I didn't have any resistance to really. And yeah, so that kind of brings me to how I got into coaching. And so at this point, you're thinking, okay, okay, where does this, where's the whole launch thing coming in? And I shall tell you. (laughs) (laughs) So around this time, I was a classic coach that was great at coaching, but, you know, didn't really have that many skills with with the sales right? Because it's a classic thing when you're good at your craft, but not so much for the sales and marketing. And so that's where I found myself. And so I discovered a mentor who just seemed to have everything together. And I joined his community and he was running a contest at the time. And it was seven days of overcoming your fears. And if you came first place, then you'd get one year of mentorship with him. And I was like, oh my God, I got to win this. I got to win this. And so I actually did. <laughs> so I did I did things like taking off my makeup on a live stream and talking about self-acceptance. I talked about my abusive relationship. I talked about, uh, actually no, I actually shared getting a group of corporate guys dance to the Gangnam Style with me. <laughs> and that was the f- biggest highlight of the entire <laughs> challenge, for sure. And yeah, and so I, def- I did win the challenge and I was so grateful for it. And the first four months, we did focus on my business. But then I found myself pivoting and I was like, oh, actually, I really like what you're doing too. And he didn't have any help at the time because he was a solopreneur at the time, but he was wildly successful because of the audience that he built. And so he actually hired me (laughs) instead. So instead of a mentorship, it turned into an internship in a really roundabout way that it it was a blessing in disguise because throughout that one and a half years that I worked with the guy, I learned everything from the ground up. I learned, I learned community management because that's where I first started. I learned how to do one-on-one sales calls. I learned how to hire people. I managed to use my coaching skills. And yes, yeah, so I picked up everything. And there was one skill that stood out above them all. And that was copywriting. And the reason why it came so naturally to me, I think, is because the coaching that I had up until that point, because it really allowed me to empathize with people. And that's the kind of copy that I managed to write for his promotions. And I didn't know what I was doing at the time. I didn't know what copywriting was. And then he was like, hmm, this email went really well. And so he kept like, hmm, try this one and this one. And it just kept going and going and going. And lo and behold, he was like, you really have a knack for this. And when it came to this point, when I realized that I had been hiding, because think about it, when I first met the guy, I you know, I wanted to run my own successful coaching business. But I guess I fell into that trap of thinking, oh, you know, I have a platform to leverage off now. So I guess it's okay to give up that dream. But a part of me just kept saying like, no, you, you know, this is your time, you need to make something for yourself. And he saw it too. Because when it when we had like this annual review, he just openly said to me, May, you are an entrepreneur, not an entrepreneur. And I think if you really gave it your all, you would have a very, very successful business. And so we made that mutual decision, you know, to end our arrangement when I was working under his wing. And that's when I went solo. And during all of that time, when I picked up those, how do you pronounce it? Plethora? Plethora? Plethora. (laughs) Plethora. (laughs) When I picked up that plethora of skills, I was at the forefront I was in the trenches for every single launch that he did so everything from the ground up I learned from scratch and that was actually by doing so it's literally like as if you know when you know how to swim you're in the shallow end you're all good but I feel like he just like plucked me up from the shallow end and threw me into the deep end and then I was like oh my god I can't do this and he's like no you can swim it's fine it's just a different depth than you're used to so I really thank that experience and and him as well he was, he was a great mentor and because of that I had a very unique 
angle on launches because I learned them from the ground up and I did it by doing, not by theory. It was by practice first. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh, I really love the rush that comes with the launch. It's just, oh, there's nothing like it because I'm the type to get bored easily. So <laughs> so I can't just keep doing the same things over and over again. But a launch, every launch is different because every client's different. And even if it's a relaunch, it's always something different. So I absolutely love that rush. And so having all that practical experience, I always want to be the type to be able to teach something that I know through and through. And so that's why I also formalized my education a little bit. And I took some launch courses as well. So my favorite today is 10x launches by Copy Hackers, teachers Ry Schwartz. And, and I got like a badge and everything to prove my completion. And it just really helped to solidify all of my knowledge because I knew it all from practice but now I had a specific order that I could actually run clients through and so that's how I've been able to get clients pretty much straight out of the gate when I started the business because I built up my network beforehand and because they obviously knew what I could do because I could the way that I talk about it is is quite clear that I've done it before and I think that's how I've managed to make it pretty much and Yeah. yeah and along the way I just keep I keep refining my services based on what my clients tell me and they keep saying the same thing like you know you have a gift when it comes to strategy and so that's why I pivoted from just doing launch copy because I just used to write the copy but now I coordinate the whole thing because I've done it before and now I know how valuable strategy is so it's like I lay out the framework and I help fill in the framework as well throughout the entire thing so yeah yeah. I I want to (laughs) backtrack about something you touched upon about like just how serendipitous or just like how life just works out that way. Mm-hmm. I think what happens to a lot of us who are just starting out or, or starting something for ourselves or even just looking for a new career or a new mm-hmm. job, like sometimes we have, we become too linear. We're like, mm-hmm. we have to follow these steps to get to this place. Right. And that's because what people tell us, that's how, you know, that's just, that's just how humans like to work. Honestly, we like to know like what this step is next. And then after this step, and then after this step, then after this step. But what I like about your story is a, I want to touch upon how important it is to invest in yourself Mm. and to invest in others, because I'm sure a lot of your personal development stuff wasn't free. I mean, I'm sure a lot of it was, (laughs) but I'm I'm also sure a lot of it wasn't. And talk about just yeah just like what it means to invest in yourself and invest in others i'm also finding so much that i come across people who either i really really want to work with or they're just doing something that's so spectacular you know that i hire them to do something for me because it's not my area of genius and then mm-hmm. instantly they're like oh my gosh i need you to do this for me is so great work. Like it just happens somewhat naturally. And I think that's a part that we don't, you know, talk about too much. It's kind of just like head down, do what you need to do, focus on, you know, grabbing the clients, doing the cold pitches, being really salesy. But there's a part of it that's just like, just live and do things naturally. And sometimes it just, it's, it's not forced. You know, if you're investing in yourself and you're investing in others, really wanting to see others succeed kind of just happens naturally. So what did you have to invest other than, and you don't have to say money. Like what did oh, you, oh no, I, can. you I will because my, my parents will not listen to this podcast because I think they'd be shocked. They're like, that's what you spent your money on. <laughs> yeah. Like, and so many parents are like, that just sounds like some fun thing to do. And not that like you're investing in a business. Exactly. That just sounds like you just threw $300 down the drain. I could have told you, you were fabulous. And <laughs> for free but it's like you did it so I paid for it (laughs) so I'll tell you now I am going to give a figure and this is not set it is still climbing because I'm I'm still continuing continuing to invest in myself because I just there's always a next level of mastery right so to date including my psychology degree sixty thousand dollars in less than five years (laughs) whoa that's an investment Yeah, I mean, that's a lot of mentorships, a lot of courses. Yeah, there's a lot. And to be honest, even though some of them didn't always pan out the way that I imagined, they were always vital pieces of my journey. Because I think what people forget is that when you invest in yourself, you 
surround yourself with people who also invest in themselves. And so it's just the caliber of people that you meet. They're just completely different than people who just seek freebies all the time. And it's fine to learn things for free. But of course, you know, with all the courses out there, there's always a deeper level of mastery. And when you surround yourself with people like that, you may find people who are perfect business partners or you may find people who are perfect clients for you or just like amazing friends. And I know that I wouldn't have gotten here if I hadn't made those investments, because some of my best friends to date, they're all people that I've met through some sort of investment into a mentor or a course. And I think that's what a lot of people forget. And also it just tells other people that you're super serious about it. The kind of respect from people that I didn't think I was even worthy of their respect because I thought they was just so much higher than me. As soon as they find out that I've invested in X, Y, Z, they just look at me differently. They're like, oh, she's serious. And I think that's something that we forget about when we do it. So it's not just what you invest in in itself. It's not just the course you invest in. It's that belief in yourself that you also invest in. And that's what people can see. And because when, you know, people want to work with professionals, right? And so if you do invest, you know, expect that in return. Expect amazing caliber of people that you surround yourself with. Expect respect from other people that you didn't think were even watching you. And yeah just investing in yourself because there's a certain amount of self-belief we need in order to think that we can get these results because while all of these course creators they promise that that is the vehicle to your success from a to z right you know we actually have a say in that too based on how well we are able to board that vehicle because they can't just like we can't just buy the course and expect results yeah i know that ticket maybe that is a little ticket shock but if I think back to how much I paid for college and how much I'm still paying for college mm-hmm. and none of the people I went to college that I speak to, yeah, I'd say <laughs> that <laughs> it's not very, it, it's, it's a fair amount and it's not very different. Mm. But I yeah. think, you know, investing in what I truly cared about. Now we can all say that, you know, most college students or most people of color who are going into college are not guided correctly. And so you end up, throwing money into something that was never really your choice to begin with, or you weren't really sure how to navigate. So you go to school, you go to work, you come out, you get a job and you do the whole, you know, the whole spiel and you, you pay your loans on time or you don't, whatever, whatever you're, whatever you're into. But it, the ticket, I think the ticket shock might be a little shocking, but I know that I'm still paying for school and it costs more than that. And I did, I went there for four years and I can say, I won't say it for everyone because people, what about doctors? What about, you know, people who yeah, specialize yeah. and did it with intention? <laughs> I can't say that I've gotten that much quality out of it. Likewise, don't worry, I'm right there with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so let's pivot to, I mean, obviously people hear your English accent <laughs> or don't, I don't know. I'm just like, oh, A to Z, I love it. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, you say A to Z, don't you? Yeah, I worked yeah. for a Canadian company. <laughs> so they said Z, and I actually liked it because I have a little lisp, and sometimes my Z and my C sound exactly mm. the same. So I was yeah. like, that's probably why they did it. Maybe, I don't know. What is it? So what was it like? I don't know. What is it like growing up in the countryside? And how, what does that have to do with any of your, I don't know, influence, any of your, I mean, mm. we are sometimes or not, or people can argue products of their environment. But I believe you're you're a Chinese girl from the English countryside. Yes, I am. <laughs> so <laughs> tell us a little bit about that. You know, I love how you make me sound so exotic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am British born. I'm British born Chinese, so we call ourselves BBCs over here. And yeah, so I grew up in North Devon, and so that is the English countryside. So literally in my back garden, I can actually from my house. If I looked at the back of the house. I'd be able to see literally like a, a flock of sheep <laughs> near my back garden. There's like just one, there's one gate. And then you just see like loads of farmland and loads of cows and sheep and just loads of, just loads of animals grazing in the background. And that was just so normal for me. And you know what? I loved my childhood. It was amazing because we lived in this little, oh, what's it called? You know, when a street ends, is it, is it called a cul-de-sac or something? Yeah, it could be a, we call it a dead end, but if yeah. fancier people call it a cul-de-sac. <laughs> Yeah, that was amazing because my sister and I would go out every single day and we'd play with all of our neighbors and we just got into so much trouble and so much fun at the same time. I remember once we dug up my mom's garden. <laughs> 
like we because we mixed all the, all the mud with water and we like made mud pictures on the pavement and I remember her driving home she's like what did you do to my daughter <laughs> and it, it was fantastic yeah so I experienced a very peaceful way of life when I grew up and then I moved to London when I was nine and it was definitely a culture shock and all of my cousins who lived in London already they thought to us like oh god you guys can't survive because I also have an older sister. Her name is May Lee. So I'm, she's May Lee, I'm May Kay. So we always get our names muddled up. Like the adults will never remember who's who <laughs> because our names are so similar. But I remember everyone just thinking like, oh yeah, you guys aren't going to survive. You country bumpkins, you country girls in the city life. And it is a culture shock because even now I live slightly outside of London and it's a little bit different. Um, a lot, you know, some people are a lot kinder, but when you're in London, I'm not saying London London is not kind, but I'm saying that there's a part of it that really isn't. <laughs> and because people are just like, you know, they're in their own world. They are just like, you know, rush, rush, hustle. And that's something that I never liked. And that's why a part of me definitely wants to go back to live in the countryside when my future kids grow up. And I'm like, okay, you don't need mama anymore. It's cool. I'm going to go back to the country, make some pies and everything. <laughs> and have my own vegetable patch all that yeah so I think it was definitely the culture shock when I was young but I think because I moved around a lot it did make me quite resilient so I would never really resisted change very much after that I did at first I remember sending my mum letters saying like no I don't want to move to London but obviously we still moved anyway but yeah when but after I moved to London and we moved a few more times around there after that I think that's really helped actually to build my character to realize that there is an impermanence to life. And I think that's a really good thing for us to know is because I think there is this, I don't know, there's this illusion of safety that we have. And I think we have that as a society, especially for example, education. We're talking about education earlier that we're taught from a young age, study hard in school, go to a university, get a job as if it's that simple, but it's not for the most of us it's some for it is the way for some people but for the vast majority it's not and I think that really shocks a lot of people when they come out to the working world because they realize oh everything is not as straightforward and then they are they're unable to cope with that change because they've been you know they've almost been brainwashed from a young age that as that that's how life is but it's not and so I think having this state of impermanence from from my teenage years has really helped me to adjust and adapt a lot in business because things change things go wrong all the time and I think it's just up to us to be able to handle that and it's by understanding that there is no permanence in life in itself and yeah <laughs> oh, that got that got deep yeah, I just realized <laughs> yeah I thought okay make it stop that's what I was saying in my that made me no no no, <laughs> no but I, I think that, that's a great message and it, it, it's funny because there's no permanence in life. And you spoke about the fact that what really attracted you to the countryside and from your childhood was the fact that people took their time Mm -hmm. and didn't feel like they had to rush all the time. Mm -hmm. And so I see that parallel now in the launch strategist role that you play in that. Yes, everybody wants to like, I have this great idea. I just want to like birth the baby and then let the world see the baby in a sense. But the baby took a little bit of time to cook. Like, you know, it's not, you're not just going to have like, you're not like I have a baby and the store just drops a baby on your, your doorstep. And it's the same thing with a business idea. It's like you have an idea and you've got to do a little bit of work before you fully launch successfully. So let's talk about the things that you see people do that can affect, that may kind of negatively affect their, their launch. Mm, okay well I think it's definitely something that I touched on at the beginning of this episode when we spoke about how people just rush and you know there are it's, it's shocking how so many people I'm like I get it they they have that excitement and again you know a lot of people they do do things like launches especially for courses because they want to pivot from the one-to-one client work to a one-to-many format and it's all re-recorded so it's quote-unquote passive income but I think that's the problem if people go into a launch with that energy you know an energy to escape something as opposed to create something that actually ripples throughout their launch Mm. and you know how you feel that sense of you know when there are people out there who are desperate for clients even if they don't say it you feel it from the energy Mm -hmm. and it's something that you know sometimes we can't always put our finger on it what it is but 
I think human beings are a lot more smarter than we give ourselves credit for. And we have that natural intuition to suss that out. So I think that's one of the things that definitely goes wrong. Because the thing is, if you're doing it to escape, then you are everything that you do your work, how you run your launch, it's with that desperate energy. And so you can cut corners with how you do your process. And it's just to kind of like get it out there. And the thing is, your audience will feel that. And so if I'm going to flip the switch and say what you should do in a launch is definitely, again, have your idea. That's first and foremost. Two, validate that idea. Make sure that you speak to your audience and understand what it is they actually need. Because you'll find there's often a mismatch between how you want to express something and how they want to receive it. And so that is why customer research, voice of customer data, all of that stuff is so important during the launch process. Because if you're going to put in all your energy and invest a, quite a lot of money to get it up and running, because launches aren't cheap, you know, we've got to think about all the like the checkout software. We've got to think of how we're going to host a webinar, if you're going to do that, your email service provider. There's so many tools that you've got to invest in and, you know, investing in Facebook ads, so much. So if you're going to actually make that commitment energetically and from a financial standpoint, do it properly from the first, you know, from the get-go. And yeah, it's going to be a huge amount is in the research, just even validating the idea and having a clear plan on how it's all going to work as well. Because what I found is I'm working with a couple of clients is they had some people who, you know, that everyone just wasn't on the same page. And so there was no major person coordinating the whole thing. People was, was speaking in different tones when they're like, the Facebook ad strategists will write different copy than the person who's doing social media to the person who's writing the emails to the person who's writing the sales page. You know, there's a lot that needs to be taken into account beforehand. You need to know your key players if you're going to do this as well. And because you'd be surprised of how quickly a launch can fall apart if people just aren't meshing together, you know, to work as a machine. So that's what I would say for sure. And it's so funny that you say that because I feel like there's a sweet spot between waiting and preparing yourself for a launch and then maybe overthinking it and missing key opportunities or waiting for perfection as opposed to launching when you have everything you need and growing as you go. So what are your thoughts about that sweet spot? When, when should you launch versus when should you kind of say, you know what, maybe I'm not ready or when can you even talk about talk to yourself and say, hmm, maybe I'm waiting for something that isn't necessary? And how can you play a role in helping someone decide? Mm, oh, that, that's a good point, actually. There is that sweet spot. And what I would say is, I hope I'm not like making this difficult for copywriters because copywriters play a huge role in a launch, but they come right at the end when everything is set. And I'd say that the number one thing you must have dialed in no matter what is your audience because I'll tell you what the, the so the mentor that I worked with he he was the person that I'm referring to with having a really dialed in audience so because he had me as a copywriter at that point when I didn't even know what copy was right so the copy wasn't perfect because I didn't know I was just kind of like going on a whim and it seemed to work but the point was that he wasn't ready to invest in a full-on copywriter for a launch yet but the reason why he was able to kind of run with that is because his audience they were, they were already demanding what they wanted from him and so you know if you are thinking of like oh should is, there, is anyone going to even like buy my launch you've got to look at who is already interested in you so how did your current clients find you are they talking about you are you known for one specific thing so that is something that I definitely would say something to think about if you're even thinking about launching just think like am I am I like relatively well known in my industry for what I do because you know building an audience quickly is possible but it may not be as deep as you need them to be at the point when you open your cup and so actually that's why I, I have launch validation strategy calls because I you know some people who want to launch I'm like okay speak to me let me see where you're at let me see if you've done your research on your customers have you done your competitor research do you have your own like unique flair on this particular area of the industry like we talk about that first to see if it's even worth launching yet and I'm not saying like my word is the end or be all but with my experience in launching it does help to even just have another pair of eyes on your plan to see if you've actually missed out any crucial elements but I'd say the number one thing is definitely your audience 
your audience, then it's your offer, and then it's your and then it's the copy. And those are the things in that order to take into account. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And when you say research, you mm-hmm. mean actually talking to oh, real yeah. people, right? Yeah. Not like Googling, mm-hmm. seeing what Forbes is saying, seeing <laughs> what Amazon is saying, like oh, yeah. actually Speaking. actually a maybe having a few clients i thought what you said was really interesting about like i've had a few one-on-one clients and now i'm like group i don't want to do this anymore group <laughs> but i'm guessing you have to get like what's the is there a magic what's like the magic number or what do you say like uh you haven't even had 10 clients yet so <laughs> come back to like what's this good sample size how many clients should someone have before they consider launching, launching something and then who's like, also we can speak to this next part. Like who's launching? Is everybody launching? Is there some people who like, no, I don't know if you need a launch. Maybe, mm-hmm. you know, I guess that's, that would be the last question, but what's the number? What's the magic number before someone's like, oh, man. I, what magic I, number validates it? <laughs> or no. what's the minimum? Like, what's the, okay. like don't come think- for Maykay unless you have this number. <laughs> okay. I definitely feel that, well, first of all, obviously it's all relative because the number one thing that's most important because for example if you're going to be launching a course you need social proof regardless so you're probably thinking but how do I have social proof if I haven't run it before that is when your one-on-one clients come in they are your proof that you know your stuff and that is something that I I called it something fluke to framework yeah yeah that's what I called it so you need to know whether your results that you get for your clients if it's a fluke or is it because of a framework that you may or may not be aware of yet so because the thing is what if you just did something on a whim and it was based on the conditions of your client that created that success but if you get this if you get great results over and over again because you're following a system that's when you know that it's not a fluke the results that you can get is actually a framework and just enough people who can toot your horn for you that you know what you're talking about because yeah that's what i would say so i wouldn't say it's the end all be yours like, oh yeah i've got eight clients eight good clients eight clients who are tooting your horn over something that you want to be known for like that that's a great place to start because if you had like i don't know 15 clients and you hated all of them <laughs> because you're doing anything and everything from them then obviously you're not going to want to launch something if they are not saying the same consistent thing about you because people want that assurance if they're going to buy from you if they're going to buy an online course they, they want to know that you know your stuff right and so yeah so not necessarily a magic number but definitely the result that is what you're looking for make sure it's not a fluke make sure it's a framework and you know that by the consistent feedback and testimonials or case studies that you're getting from your one-on-one clients from there you should have the confidence to know that you have something that's worth sharing i like that fluke or framework yeah <laughs> oh so is launching only like like who's launch? <laughs> this is why i get so confused because like can, can a dentist launch can uh, I don't know, can a restaurant, well, obviously a restaurant can launch, right? If you have people subscribing to like your fun menu stuff or you have, you know, you've the New York Times has like given you stellar reviews. I mean, you have, you know, some type of social proof, but who shouldn't be coming or can anyone hire a launch strategist? I think you touched upon it in the beginning, but like who, who needs a launch strategist who doesn't need a launch strategist? Right. So first of all, I think in a broad sense, anyone can launch, but it doesn't mean everybody should. Okay. <laughs> and I think because the word launch is very broad because many different launches. So I just want to put it out there. The kind of launches that I do are online courses, online group programs. Those are primarily the kind of launches that I work on because the analogy that I like to give is the same as copywriting is that no copy formula is the same so for example what you would do for a facebook ad would be different from a blog so the way i like to think i'm going to bring in my baking background because i'm quick tangent i did want to become a pastry chef at one point and i got really good at baking and as what was what was fascinating to me is that it was all under the guise of baking like a cake is considered a baked good but so is a cookie however the methods that we use and the ingredients that we use to create them are very different things even though they're both classed as baked goods and it's the same for a launch so a cookie launch is different from a muffin launch <laughs> and it's different from a chocolate fudge cake launch you know what i mean yeah <laughs> so I think, yeah so i'm not sure like i'm sure there are launch strategies specifically for restaurant launches but you want to know 
if there is one that's specifically for the kind of launch you want to do. So for example, I've done book launches before. They work well, but I found that it's not really my cup of tea. Like I love doing online course launches and program launches. So that's why I make it clear for people who want to work with me that those are the launches I primarily work on and webinar-based launches as well. So mine is very specific on who I help because I feel it's almost irresponsible if I can if I say that, oh yeah, and I can help you launch anything. And who loves a generalist? Not very many people. People want specialists, right? So if you got if you had a problem with your ear, you want to go to an ear specialist, right? <laughs> Not just a, a general GP. So I feel like I'm bashing on doctors. I'm sorry, doctors who are listening to this, if there are any. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I keep trying to get dentists to launch. I don't know why. <laughs> but you're like, no, no yeah. doctors. Not for me. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. That makes sense. So that would be someone, maybe you're not, maybe you're shopping for long strategies. So that's maybe like one, one thing you should definitely be careful about. Like, has this person proven time and time again that they have helped people in your particular niche? Like, and don't feel bad about, you know, they may have gotten great results for someone else, but those are probably specifically book launches. And so they need to maybe look for a book launch strategist or if they yeah. want someone who's known for on like you said online webinar coaching mm-hmm. type of launch strategist they need to look for that launch strategist like not yeah. just taking it for face value that this person has expertise but do they have expertise in doing maybe even down to working with the type of people like I've you know I'm sure you've worked from small, medium to big, or maybe at this point in your career, it's only medium and big, or maybe now at this point in your career, it's only big. Like there's, there, you know, there's budgets, there's a lot of things to consider, I guess, when you're trying to pick who to work with. Sometimes it can be off energy, but it's great that the energy, but can they deliver what it is you need them to deliver for you? And, and, and you giving that person vice versa, like, what is it? Like you said, are you going to be, are you going to be the cookie, the cookie aficionado? I, I really like that. Fan. I really like that analogy, like the cake and the cookie. That's oh yeah. Because at the end of the day, like it's butter, cute. flour, eggs, right? Or whatever. But they're not, not the same amount, not the mm-hmm. same baking time, yeah. not the same preparation. Exactly. Not the same. Yeah. Um, I'm not a great baker, but I like eating baked goods. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, like Some things I can get away with with my mum's oven my mum's oven is one that's not very precise on the temperature so I can cook things like cookies but for example if I was going to bake macaron which is very temperamental then I wouldn't do it in my mum's oven <laughs> because you know some are a little bit more I don't know just some bakers are a bit more they're more dealers than the others <laughs> so <laughs> yeah so I do love baking a good chiffon cake but it does take a lot of time and a decent oven to do but I can bake a cookie anywhere <laughs> okay <laughs> All right, so make sure, guys, you're not a cookie. No. Yeah. <laughs> well, every, everybody looks. Everyone's got to start as. Everyone's got to start as a cookie. Okay. Yeah, and I and I think that's actually that's something that's really important. That I think, like, yes, I ha- I love helping people to launch their courses, but I feel that there is a necessary evil that we all need to go through, and that is the rite of passage of doing it on your own. You how to launch a course you should at least try it once so you know what to look for and you've experienced it firsthand yourself because it's kind of like if you have your hand held you're in the entire time when you're a kid you never had a time then you would never be able to fall over and understand what it's like if you run too fast you know yeah. and I feel that that's what a launch strategy is, is somebody who does hold your hand because I I hold my client's hand and I want to make sure everything's all good and I want to like let them know every step of the way, like, hey, you know, we're in this together, we're a team. But I feel that it's, it is a rite of passage that I think that most people should go through unless they have the budget to hire someone straight out of the bat. That's cool. But for first time launches, if they have a system that they've learned from from somebody already, they should at least try it. And then they will kind of like take away what it is that they needed help with because you don't know what you don't know. And so unless you kind of go all in, like getting ready, like without knee pads, without shin pads, and like you're just going for it. And if you fall over, then you fall over, but you get back up knowing how to run better next time. And I say that because because I played a lot outside when I was little. I had a lot of injuries. So I knew <laughs> I knew how to then I knew how to like, you know, play with my rollerblades a lot better because I knew how to position my feet and everything like that. <laughs> 
I try my best with my analogies, but they do. You've got great analogies. <laughs> I mean, the running, the cake, the cookie. Yeah, I think the cookies are, are the best ones. So yeah, <laughs> when it comes to baking. You need to work that into your, you need to work that into you. You might already have it in there, but I think you need to yeah. work it into your branding. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I think I put it a little bit on my about page. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, this is my, to, to be honest, I think I mentioned that during my podcast launch for the community that we're both in, that. I have this distant dream in the future to actually open up my own cafe because I can't silence this love that I have for baking and that I just want to create a really zen-like environment when people just enjoy their cup of tea. Maybe I'll have one of those cafes without Wi-Fi. I'm like, no, you enjoy the time here. You don't Instagram it. (laughs) Like, I do have that distant dream. So when my kids grow up, they know mama's got her own cafe. (laughs) So, Yeah. yeah, I feel like, yeah, that's probably like a dream for when I'm like, I don't know, 40, 50? We like that stuff around here. We like multi-passionate. We Mm. also like food and we love carbs. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. I eat eat everything. So when people, people assume for some reason that I'm a vegetarian, I'm like, okay, like I like vegetarian food. I don't mind it. I eat everything. (laughs) I've never heard of food profiling, but that may be a thing. You know what? That happens to me all the time. And Mm -hmm. maybe we can speak to it or not. Like DJ (laughs) makes fun of me as a Puerto Rican woman. I don't like rice. And it's crazy. I don't understand it. Oh my god! I do not understand. It's it. not I, I my face. I know. I know. I know. Asian people get mad at me all the time. They're like, what? Rightfully so. <laughs> They're like, yeah. we brought you this rice. All right. I understand. I get it. I get it. It's not. It's not that I hate it. I don't hate it. It's not my side of choice. Like okay. if I had to choose a side, I also I think it's like a, maybe it's a Hispanic thing. Like if it's anything you can cook yourself. You don't buy it. And oh, so you're like, I'm not paying for you to, I'm not paying for these $10 rice and beans. Mm, like, it's just okay. not happening. Okay. I, I, feel you I know how much they cost. It probably costs like eight cents <laughs> to make <laughs> one person serving a rice and beans. But mm. it's not my go-to. It's not my go-to. So I think that's kind of like food profiling. Like, oh, she's Asian. Maybe mm. she looks fit. Maybe she's a vegan or a vegetarian. Stop. Throwing you in these like little box and you're like, uh-uh, I eat cookies. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what yeah. other, other things. I know you yeah. eat cookies for sure because you make them. Yeah, people are like, oh, is this gluten-free? And I'm like, do you, do you have celiac disease or are you gluten intolerant? No. And I'm like, okay, then no. It's, it's got full gluten in it and full yeah, sugar, full butter. Cookie. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, because uh, I used to make it for my my workmates before I left my day job, and then the first thing they would say like, "Is it gluten free?" And I'm like, first of all, do you have celiac disease, or are you gluten intolerant? Because if not, then why are you asking about this sort of thing if this doesn't actually affect you on a health level? It's a cupcake. You're not gonna eat it for health benefits. You're gonna eat it for enjoyment. Okay, <laughs> just, have, it. just have it. All right, <laughs> this is for joy. So that's not a healthy cupcake. Okay, right? Yeah, I'm taking that, but... the joy out of my cupcakes. Exactly. Yeah. I make good, but for anyone who ever had my cupcakes, like they, they always like have that moment where they stop their eyes wide and like, wow, because I make these amazing chocolate cupcakes that are not too sweet, but they're fudgy. So it's just perfect with some swelled cream with some crushed Oreo crumbs in there and like a little baby Oreo on top. I always get rave reviews on that cupcake. It's my signature. That sounds like the prize for the podcast. Don't play. Oh, I don't think yeah. you can ship that stuff. Yeah, if but... I ship that, it'll, probably, it'll probably get ruined on the way there. But tell you what, if you ever come to London, let me know. I have actually done this before for friends who come over and, and meet up. I literally bake them a like, That's the signature cookie. Cupcake. That's the signature cupcake we get. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. So both of you got to come over to London. Let me know when you're coming and I'll bake Start you. Start tracking cupcake. London flights. <laughs> <laughs> See how that goes. Yeah, All right. Oh, hold me to it. Hold me to it. Before we get into our fun little questions, we used to call it a lightning round. Oh, God. So tip, podcast, podcast tip, don't call it a lightning round unless it's lightning fast. Okay. <laughs> me and Deja and the, we're not, maybe we're not as fast as we think we are, or maybe we just like, at, maybe we gotta like really get good <laughs> lightning round questions, but they're good questions. They're just not as fast as, we're working on it. We're working on it. So podcaster okay. to podcaster. Thanks yeah. you for the tip. That's lightning, lightning round questions are not as easy as they sound to come up with (laughs) I guess so I guess one would be we start right out if you could be any food what would you be oh no I'm really bad with these questions no we Um, just had a whole conversation about 
food. Uh, <laughs> I know. Okay. Mm, I think I would be, this sounds so boring though, but okay. I would be, okay. And I don't think you're going to like me anymore, Christina, because it'll be rice. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I got like one, like one point Deidre. There we go. And the reason why I say that is that one, I am true to my roots. Even though I am, even though I am British born Chinese, and I actually don't speak the language that well, I can just, I can speak better Japanese than I can Chinese, which is really weird about me. But <gasps> I know, I know, I know. <laughs> what is happening here? But like, I think rice it can be dressed up in so many different ways, and right. it on its own is a good thing. But with other things, it's even better. And I like to think that's the kind of person I am. I'm good on my own, but with, you know, the right combination of people, we can make an, like, an amazing flavor profile. I, I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> right. I'm just going to say right. I'm with you. I'm with you. I get it. It's versatile. I'm not yeah, shitting yeah. on rice, yeah. guys. I'm not shitting on rice. <laughs> well, I don't know. I feel like you do, though. Yeah, I felt, I, I kid you not, I felt like a, a virtual dagger come to my heart when you said, I don't like rice. And I was like, <gasps> it, It's very jarring. Yeah, it is. It is. I'm sorry, Christina. <laughs> I, I mean, it was also, you know, when it's every meal, too, as a child. I eat rice all the time. <laughs> like, do, you, do you not drink water with every meal? Right? Just saying. My son is so funny. That's funny that you say that. My son hates water. He loves playing in it. But if he drinks it, he, like, spits it on himself. Like, he just can't even fathom swallowing it. He's like, oh, my God, what is this? And I'm just like, (laughs) Jesus. Oh, you should add, like, fruits in there. Yeah. Like, his favorite fruits, like, berries and oranges and mint. Cucumber is really nice. It's very refreshing. It makes easy it makes water easier to drink because I never used to like water. And even though my parents never did that for me, I think it just really helped whenever there's like a little lemon wedge that I got in restaurants sometimes. I was like, oh, actually, it's not that bad. Your parents are normal, non-millennial parents who are like, if you don't drink the water, you drink nothing. <laughs> uh, I'm like, oh my God, well, what can I do to make this water more palatable for you? <laughs> so annoying. I annoy myself. Okay, anyway. <laughs> Dina, what's the next question? <laughs> Why what, is you your, this part? <laughs> what is your favorite place to be creative? My favorite place? In, you mean in the world? Anywhere. Mm. Yeah, we can go abroad. Oh, definitely at the beach if I'm sitting on a rock looking at waves. I like that. It's very specific. Mm. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so dis- describe yourself in one word. Adaptable. Like that a lot too. That was no thought. She was like, boom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Adaptable. <Not a> communion. <laughs> uh, but you also got the rice analogy. I mean, it's, it's kind of a theme here. Yeah, yeah. You're yeah, consistent. Yeah. You're yeah. consistent. Mm-hmm. Oh, should add rice to my branding. <laughs> do it. Cakes. Rice cakes? No, I'm playing. Don't do that. Don't do rice cakes. No. Unless you can make them taste good, then I'm on for it. <laughs> Mm, yeah if you just smear a peanut butter and put banana on it that's fine but <laughs> not a huge fan of rice cakes just rice on it got you and the last question is what is one thing that you want the bnp listeners to know about you it could be anything <laughs> it could be fun it could be weird it could be business oriented like oh anything Oh, that's actually a really hard question. I, you know, I'm going to ask my my future guests these questions too. And I want to see if they stumble like I am because it's quite embarrassing. Oh, you're not alone. Don't you worry. That's oh, why okay. there's so, there were supposed <laughs> to be rapid fire questions. And I think they're just like... They're too into deep. Maybe like pop quiz. Maybe it's yeah. yeah. be a pop quiz instead. Um, yeah, I feel like I should have studied for this. But like, I, I, I'm proud Sorry. to have answered at least one. What is the one thing I'd want them to know about me? I don't know. <laughs> I feel like... What's feel the like one I'm, thing... Okay, you said you wanted to give us... I think you touched upon... I hope you were able to touch upon everything you wanted to tell us about launching. What's the one thing that you want, good or bad, that you want our listeners to know about launching their idea? Okay. I'm sorry, guys. Marketing. And H2H stands for heart-to-heart, human-to-human. So remember that no matter whatever it is you're launching, you're launching to human beings. So treat them like one. They're not just numbers you know on your screen they are a human being with real hopes and dreams and fears just like you so anytime you have you're launching anything in your business or even just running your business just remember that behind the screen behind every single email behind every like and comment is a real human being so treat them like one that's what i'd say that's dope those are those are great words Thank you for tuning in to Bagels and Plantains with your girls Deidre and Christina. If you like the flavor we're kicking in your ear and want to know more about upcoming guests, 
follow us on the gram at Bagels and Plantains. If you want to show us even more love, then don't forget to leave us a review on iTunes or drop a little of that coin into the support bucket at our Patreon link below in our show notes so we can keep bringing you the latest and the greatest. Thank you again for tuning in.